Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. Are you very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Rugby Podcast with your host Mark Kennedy. I'm joined again this week by Liam O'Brien. Liam, how are things? Uh, great, Mark. Great. Another great win on Friday night for Munster anyway. Absolutely. No, it was a cracker and I think we'd kind of called it from last week's podcast about Cardiff Blues coming in and delivering a good performance and they certainly did that, but credit to Munster. I suppose tonight, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, uh, we're going to have a look at Round 17 URC action. Run the rule over the four provinces. Uh, you see where the final round picture goes for each of these teams. Uh, we'll also look at some exciting kind of coaching news coming out of Munster Rugby as we record this podcast. Also looking at the Champions Cup back. And we have uh, a nice trip to the nation's capital, Liam, on Saturday uh, facing the mighty Toulouse. We'll look at those previews as well. So, first off, Liam, we can focus on Musgrave Park last Friday night. Yeah, great crowd down there, uh, down in Cork, and a very entertaining game by all accounts. Uh, what were your kind of reactions there on that 42-21 win for Munster over, I thought, a very determined ga- uh, gallant? Yeah, I think we, we, did, we did kind of predict it beforehand. It would be one of these crazy high-scoring games, free-flowing rugby. Because um, because Cardiff are like that anyway, and it kind of almost the next year team is going to be playing the same way with them. So yeah, that that's the way it turned out. Five tries to three. Um, Munster. Um, against Cardiff. Um, brilliant to get another performance together three times in a row now. Three weeks in a row we've, we've put it together. On that pitch, Munster always seemed to just put in really good performances. Um, like they just, they just uh, what stood out to me was. That even though Cardiff actually had a very good start, like and, and they scored a few tries in the first quarter, that um, we came back so strongly and great cameos, I suppose, there from the likes of Tom O'Hearn all all through the game, Haley as well, obviously, Casey when he came on was was monumental as well, and you'd have to say some of these guys even put their their hand up for starting spot for next week. I agree with you there, Liam, wholeheartedly. I think there is a few selection posers. For Johan van Grand, Stephen Larkin and Graham Rowntree to consider uh, this week as they've been selecting that 23-man squad, more importantly, for that Toulouse game. Um, but I think all credit to Cardiff Blues. When you're coming into a European week like this, you want a stiff, tough opposition to really test you out. And I thought Cardiff Blues, particularly in that first half, did pose an awful lot of questions to Munster, particularly in their attacking line speed. I thought some of the running lines from their front five really did um, create problems. Asked a few questions on Munster Rugby defensively. I thought Davis's try after a minute was pretty superb. How that was basically set up. The sidestep uh, to get away from Conor Murray was uh, exquisite. Uh, Lee Ho as well. Again, that was I thought it was a superb try. How the pack for Cardiff really did ask questions on Munster. And uh, I suppose Calvin Nash could have maybe, could he have done a little bit better there? He came out of the line, take man and ball, didn't do either. And line space was created. But I think from a Cardiff Blues perspective, it was a very good start to the match. And it asked questions of Munster about the resiliency, the determination to get into the game. And as you say yourself, I thought Mike Haley was absolutely superb on the 92 metres and two very well-worked tries. And I thought that um, first try on five minutes was one of the best team tries of the season for Munster. Oh, my God, it was. Yeah, incredible try. Um, the huge pass out from, um, from Healy. And you have to remember it was Jack O'Donoghue who actually uh, offloaded there to to Mike Haley. That was a, that's a brilliant try again. You know, as good a try as I suppose the 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 game the against Ulster. You know, 
the try we scored for Ernsey against Ulster. We're, we're pulling it out these times, you know. Yeah, then, I mean, Haley's try had a great line there, just stood up kind of. And then, I suppose, look, look Calvin Nash had a great carry up to the half time there for um, Ahern to just pop over. And really, you'd have to say that was probably the game already at that stage, you know, when you're 13, 14 points ahead at half time. Um, but, you know, they came out, uh, Cardiff, I give them due credit. Second half, they got the first uh, score. They got the, the first try, actually, you know, um, from the Lloyd Williams, a nice typical scrum half try. Um, but again, um, we came back with Casey, with the big John, um, Jack O'Donoghue um, carry and then offload to Casey. And then Casey tapped, tapped it off himself um, for some time. So yeah, um, I, 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 some things to think about for next week would be like actually Ken Dillon, who who started the game at seven, you know, and give a thoughtless display there. I have to say, and obviously you know like you typically again you know like said Josh Witcherly has to be looked at as well, and in terms of what is intriguing me is that when the halfbacks change that somehow they, maybe it's because the game has already opened up but they'd certainly bring a lot more um attacking flair so craig casey definitely a bit of dilemma there for the coaches for next week certainly agree there Liam. i think you know that last quarter that cameo between craig casey and joy carberry that has got an awful lot of people an awful lot of monster fans very excited uh for this weekend coming against losing the aviva I suppose the one argument here is, you know, Murray and Healy did an awful lot of the foundational work. I thought Murray overall was solid. I mean, he did an awful lot of defensive shifts there because with Cardiff Blues, like to Josh Navidi, there was an awful lot of intensity there in that back row. And I thought Murray handled the situation very, very well in terms of his composure. Same with Healy as well. You know, it was pretty unerring with the boot. But I think that Casey Carberry option there is that kind of area there where Casey can really speed up the ball. He's kind of running game as well. Very apparent. I mean, I thought that 62nd minute try. Again, Jack O'Donoghue, who's playing outstanding stuff again, Liam. Um, the offload, the awareness. I thought the offloads was the key. We uh, offloaded for 21 in total in that 80 minutes. I think that's probably a season high, I would think. Even the Zebri game. I think this is probably a season high for Munster Rugby this season in the United uh, Rugby Championship. And again, the nine clean breaks as well uh, for Munster throughout. I thought it was a great stern test for Munster. And like there was quite a bit of significance and quite a bit riding on this, just given how fixtures had basically evolved over the weekend. Munster certainly needed the results. So, I mean, Cardiff didn't give anything soft here to Munster. Munster earned it completely. And I think maybe Tom O'Hearn comes into the picture here. Uh, for significant game minutes. Again, there was no Jason Jenkins really here, to be perfectly honest. So our coach is look, looking beyond Jenkins now at this stage. Um, again, a guy Taylor made for Toulouse, but again, I think Tom O'Hearn did nothing bad at all. I mean, great try, 13 tackles. It's great to see the young guys really stepping up, putting a hand in the air and saying to the management, look, I want a piece of this on Saturday and try your best to get, uh, omit me from a squad. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, I mean, Tom O'Hearn, look, <laughs> I, I, he's definitely uh, kind of a 50-cap Ireland international in the making. Like, there's absolutely no doubt about it. Um, I suppose, look, we have to give credit to Cardiff. I, 
I you know I, I think they're third from bottom in in the in the actual table, but maybe it's because they don't always play to their potential each week. I mean, to me, I I, I think I've said it before. Of all the Welsh sides, Cardiff nearly have the most potential when they click to absolutely do anything to any team. So it was it was absolutely a stern test, and um, they were with us, you know, right up to the last twenty minutes where we kind of just uh, powered ahead, I guess. But um, in terms of impact players, I suppose we do have to kind of look and see should we be having. Casey on the bench, you know, maybe we, we leave Jenkins on the bench with her and starting. Um, maybe also think about John Ryan. Does he start or does he come on, you know, maybe 55 minutes? So, there, yeah, there's some interesting options for us, even with all the crazy amount of, of injuries that we actually currently have. Yeah, I think the selection posers, I think we'll get to them in a while once we kind of preview this Toulouse game. Uh, where how do you go? Do you go on the front foot immediately, or do you hold a little bit back in attacking reserve? Or I think pack platform is probably going to be a key one for Munster on Saturday. So I think we can discuss all those conundrums. I'd say in due course, it was a great win for Munster anyway. Solidifies their second place in the league. But by God, if you look at the league standings right now, you know Leinster are out in front on sixty-two points. Then you have a traffic of teams coming in. Munster starting the, the train here on 56 points, joined with the Sharks, the Stormers on 56, Ulster 55, Bulls 53, and then you have Glasgow and Edinburgh on 50. I mean, the last round of games here is nothing going to be short of phenomenally exciting for the neutral and for all the supporters of these teams from maybe two to eight, really, to decide the playoff picture and the seedings for uh, the playoffs. Oh, it's just, it's, it's going to be incredible, you know. Um, I think it, probably the, the six, seven and eight are, as far as I'm concerned, pretty much decided already. Six being the Sharks and seven and eight being interchangeable between Edinburgh and Glasgow because I don't think the Sharks will win or get anything at all, really, out of out of Ulster. But um, for us, we basically need to get at least one point against Leinster or else we'll find ourselves in probably... like. The, f- the fifth spot, basically, you know, the 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 away game, um, and to be honest, I mean, having looked at Leinster away against the Stormers with almost a third string side, I mean, we're not guaranteed to get anything out of that game, you know. I mean, if they play those lads and they play the the O'Brien brother, the O'Briens, who say, uh, as well, definitely nothing guaranteed there. No, we probably can go to that match, the Stormers and, and Leinster rugby. I mean. Stormers pretty much put out their first string uh, team. Leinster really depleted, given Nafala the first team, or is that probably the start in Welford Road uh, at the weekend in Champions Cup, were in Dublin preparing. But I think Len- Leinster really did provide another statement of how phenomenal their academy and underage structures are. I thought it was nothing short of a superb performance from Leinster to hang in the fight and really be there until the final whistle. And I think... Uh, of the team, but you could count numerous other guys within the Leinster side that really did put up the hand up. And I think if you're Leo Cullen, Felipe Contitomi, uh, all the rest of the Leinster management staff coming back from South Africa, I know it's two losses, but my God, Liam, given the squad that they basically had announced, I mean, the signs here in terms of the growth, the development, the squad depth, it seems as better as as good as ever for Leinster rugby going forward with all these young talented players uh, on show uh, last weekend. 
Yeah, like as a tour, I know it's, it's two losses, but I suppose it was two very um, slight losses. And like as losses go, that's as good as you're going to get, you know, and you, to get that experience as well. In terms of some of these guys, where they've come from, some of those guys, like, you know, were, were actually AIL guys, you know. You talk about Sarka there. He was um, there with, with Clontarf and um, they're literally plucked from the AIL. Also, uh, Cormac Foley, their um, they're scrum half as well, you know, probably probably form scrum half in the AIL this season. So, yeah, they, they have some, some talent there. And Scott Penny, to me, reminded us of he's probably, <laughs> he's still probably, you know, third, fourth choice seven that we have like you know in in the country he, he he was a phenomenon as well but what it showed to me is the fact that the stormers you know they're well beatable if Munster are playing them like in, in a, in a quarter final semi-final even away they're very well beatable they um they have periods where they seem to like lulls where they seem to switch off um during games and so that gives us definitely kind of um, something to work on. Um, in, in terms of the Stormers, yeah, I mean, they, they actually got three nice tries, to be fair. Um, but um, Evan Royce, I suppose, <laughs> was in the news again for putting his uh, hand face down on a Leinster player, which, to be fair, like, you know what I mean? There was no there was no need for it and could have gotten sent off, really, for that. Could have, should have, to be perfectly honest, Lane. I'd like a bit more decisive refereeing there, to be perfectly honest, because Leinster during that 80 minutes had two yellow cards uh, during the game. So, again, don't be cribbing too much in terms of officiating again, but that looked pretty bad on cameras. TMO was pretty slow, and the referee was pretty slow on the day to kind of really kind of ping that. But I suppose going back to Leinster as well, and I mean, we go back to Alex Soraka. He's actually is born in... Uh, he was born in Cork. So, I mean... A guy there that's really taking his opportunity with Leinster, uh, certainly. And I think, you know, everything about him, six foot five, 105 kg. I mean, the guy is just phenomenally talented, even at this early stage. But I suppose the key here for him is, you know, he comes back to the Leinster rugby setup. When you give him the back row options that they currently have, like so the Dorises, Van der Fleers, Conans, where does an Alex Soraka or any of the other young established talent here from Leinster really kind of see game time uh, going forward, particularly in the key games. I mean, I think there will be a point here that Alex Soraka will need to progress his career. I'm just wondering if uh, Leinster may not be the place for uh, a guy of that ilk and skill set uh, to succeed. Yeah, when you're when you're probably essentially out of the the, the, the kind of normal match day 23, as, as he probably will be even next season, uh, certainly it's a bit of a conundrum, all right. I mean, I would say come down to Munster, but like <laughs> at the end of the day, we now also have guys coming through. So I mean, you're gonna have queues everywhere here, you know. Um and you know, Connacht already taken three or four Leinster players next season. So yeah, I mean I sometimes think, you know, Leinster there's such a production line that they they almost need to send some lads away to to France for a bit or England for a bit. I'm not saying go forever from the Irish system, but go and do your two-year stint abroad, you know, and establish yourself as a first-team player, and then you can come back, and you have to pick up where you want to play then, you know? Exactly. Yeah, no, I thought it was a very, a very good performance from Nancy Ropey, just given the circumstances, and to be honest, lots of Ed Byrne, 
you know, there was great Leinster responses here. I mean, the opening five, ten minutes, it looked fairly ominous for uh, Leinster. There was a few line breaks from Stormers settling into the game. And then when the tries did, did come in for the Stormers, it was 3-6 at halftime. Um, when the Stormers did basically create width on the ball, they did pose questions, two quick tries. But again, great Leinster response from Ed Byrne. And, I mean, the penalty try, the yellow card, but the perseverance from Leinster, I think it was, it was just a, a super performance here. Um, but I suppose the end of the game was, uh, I thought it was quite uh, interesting uh, when Leinster did get the penalty. Harry Byrne kicked it into touch, but you can quite visibly hear Alex Soraka in the background kind of saying, what are you doing? Like, you know, but I think to be fair to Harry Byrne, they were assured a loser bonus point that would secure the top seed. So I think uh, maybe an experienced decision there from the thigh half just to kind of shore up, accept the loser bonus point and just move on. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think, I mean, because it, because at the end of the day, they're now with a game to go, guaranteed top spot. If you didn't kick it out, you never know what happened. The Stormers could have went up the field and got another try, you know, so absolutely, yeah. It was yeah. logical. Exactly. So, congratulations to Lancer Rugby anyway, top seeds there, and means looking quite rosy for them in the playoffs anyway. Potentially, they do have a Glasgow-Edinburgh at home to kick it off, and having home field advantage, potentially for a final here name as well. From the URC side of things, it's uh, looking pretty rosy for Leinster on that front. I suppose we can quickly go to Connacht and Ulster as well. Connacht concluded their South African tour with a trip to the South Sea Sharks. Uh, quite a promising first half there, Liam. Uh, some lovely cameos, great performances from the likes of Connacht Fitzgerald, Finley Bealham, uh, Blades. But unfortunately for Connacht, they faced a very determined Sharks pack second half and... Uh, Shipped a few scores to lose 41-21. What were your thoughts on the overall performance from Connacht? Yeah, well, certainly, like, in the first half, I thought it was all over at halftime, how dominant Connacht actually were. Um, Connacht fronted up physically. You know, they definitely weren't second rate there. Um, They got two smashing tries in the first half. Um, And... Things were looking rosy. They were halfway to the bonus point, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I, I expected them to get two in the second half, but um, yeah, fell away a bit then in the second half. I, I suppose the power of the Sharks told. They kind of played the real typical South African way, if that, if that's it can be said. Whereas the Stormers are all flash and flare, the Bulls are kind of a mixture of in between. They have the power, but then they have the backs. The you know the Sharks are literally <laughs> route one rugby. <laughs> And um, yeah, Grobler and and um, and Bonambi and Khaleesi and all them, yeah. So they were, they rumbled over for a few tries, and very kind of easy in the end. And it didn't even look in the end as if, you know, it was unfortunate that, that Connors couldn't get a, even a point out of the game. Yeah, no, it was disappointing. Now, in fairness, I've been critical of Connors in the past, but I this is the first real time I've really seen the South Sea Sharks at home, and. Um, to be perfectly fair, that pack, Liam, is going to pose massive problems for any team in the playoffs. Just the physicality of the team in the second half. They came in, came in 10-21 down. Connick seemed to be on the up. But my God, the pack platform that was created in that third quarter. Once the Sharks get any momentum at all in the pack, I think they will be a very, very hard team to stop in the playoffs. I can see an awful lot of teams here really kind of maybe fearing kind of playing the Sharks, to be perfectly honest. I mean, you know, when you see Lowe, you see Grobler, you see Roitz as well. These are quality, quality ball players, but the physicality 
just literally the, the yards made on tackles. It's going to create lovely front football for you. And I think the Sharks could be one of those teams that, you know, could be a little bit of a dark horse, particularly when it comes to the playoffs, particularly quarterfinal, semifinal. They could catch a potential uh, upset, particularly in semifinal, may get into a final because I was very impressed by them in terms of that second half. I think that has to be the barometer for the Sharks going forward. And in fairness to Connacht, they tried hard, but I just think it was just overwhelming in terms of the physicality, the tackle count. It just got to Connacht eventually. And uh, yeah, it was just unfortunate, I think, from a Connacht rugby perspective. Yeah, and we also have to remember that, that Lucanio Am had a two-one two stint there in Japan. He's back next week. Yeah. Um, for 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 their midfield, so suddenly they're they're also going to have a pretty god goddamn uh, strong backline to go with that pack. Yeah. So as you yeah you are as you point out there, they certainly are going to be a handful for any team from the quarterfinals onwards. Exactly. And I mean for Connacht rugby, I mean it just plays out the season now. Last home game against Sebri. Um, so that'll be an interesting one, you know, proper send off for a few of the the loyal kind of players that have served Connacht so well, like Savolton Delan um, and other kind of player departures. So Sammy Arnold as well, heading to France as well. So it will be emotionally charged uh, occasion here in the sports grounds for round 18. But uh, I think from a Connacht rugby perspective, there's an awful lot to be optimistic and excited about, particularly with the, the new signings that have come in and also the exciting development plans that I have for the training ground and also for the stadium as well. So best wishes to Connacht Rugby anyway. And yeah, new era, new season uh, next year. I suppose we can get to Ulster Rugby as well here, uh, Liam as well. They've had a shaky enough patch of form right at the wrong time of the year, business end of season. But um, they went to Edinburgh, who had been unbeaten at home in the URC uh, this season, and came away with a 16-10 win over Edinburgh. Uh, What were your overriding thoughts on, on that one? Yeah, I mean, I mean, look. To be fair, they they turned up and they fronted up Ulster. But in terms of the game, you'd have to be almost disappointed with Edinburgh as a home team, who pretty much, you know, it was such a key game that they would end up, you know, certainly probably almost with a, a home um, quarter final, you know, because they had Glasgow yet to come, um, and they just they just didn't play for about sixty minutes of that game. And when they did play in the last twenty minutes, it was a bit a bit headless. I mean, they finished the game camped on the line probably for the three or four minutes there. Um, all they do was, was to at least at some stage try and pass the ball out the back line, you know. Um, but just kept kept going, kept plugging away as a team that what didn't really um, believe that they could do it. So uh, you know that that's that's my my it was as much Edinburgh's kind of um, inability to take their opportunities as it was Ulster to um, get over the line. But look, Ulster, you know, defensively as per last season, they they were very very strong, and again the pack fronted up there. Vermeulen was immense, um, Rob Herring as well, um, in front row as well. Yeah, quite impressive. Yeah, I think this is one from Edinburgh Rugby end of year review. I think they really will be very disappointed about. I just thought the composure um, of Edinburgh throughout the game wasn't there. Even in the first five to ten minutes when Nick Timoney actually got sin-binned for a high tackle, there was one or two clean line breaks where we've talked about this at length, Liam. If you give Edinburgh Rugby any sort of 
clean line breaks, they will punish you. But there was a whole indecisive nature to it. You know, a player holding up to the ball for too long where that ball should have been gone. You know, there was options left or right. And to be perfectly fair to Ulster, with 14 players when Timoney going off, Robert Bollicone's try, it really didn't show much in terms of Edinburgh Rugby's pack. I mean, I thought Ulster's pack, minus Timoney, really did control the phases very well. Balden got spun out for Ballycone to basically score the try. And again, O'Connor goes off as well when it was 16-3. And again, they never really capitalised Edinburgh here as well. I think from an Ulster perspective here, I think it was a phenomenal win. Just in terms of the work rate, the desire, 202 tackles made during the 80 minutes, Lean, You know, playing with 14 players for 20 minutes, it was a hard slog. I mean, Timoney comes back on the pitch and then produces 23 tackles. Again, another guy that's on the radar, I would say, of Andy Farrell for a New Zealand summer rugby trip with Ireland. Um, again, Hume, Lowry, prominent as well. But I just think as well, I think this opportunity, a golden opportunity lost for Edinburgh Rugby. They had a full house in Edinburgh overlooking the Murray Field. And I just thought they just didn't perform on the night. And we've seen this with Edinburgh Rugby at key stages during pivotal moments in the last few years that when it comes down to the crunch, they just don't deliver. And I think unfortunately for them, they have a Scottish derby with Glasgow. But I feel it's one and out in the playoffs. Whoever they will get, I think they will be probably an early exit out of the playoffs, which is a bit disappointing for Edinburgh, given their position that they were in at the start of the year. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, Edinburgh were, geez, they were, they were a top of the table for for, uh, for some of those games, actually, during the year. And to end up now, you know, in eighth and, you know, the last quarterfinals, and realistically, they're, they're gone. And to be honest with you, it's, the two Scottish teams, I, I think, are going to be going to be eliminated because they're playing the top two seeds. So in the end, it kind of worked out disappointing for Scottish rugby overall. And Edinburgh always, to me, had more than Glasgow, you know. They they had um very good mobile back row. And, of course, they had those those Argentinian guys on the wing as well. So, yeah, it kind of season kind of implodes for them eventually um, coming up to the the business end of the season really i just didn't understand the logic here liam in terms of what they were trying to do for the closing phases of that game i mean they were camped on the line as you say if a talented back line again ulster were very defensively kind of sucked in in the pack exchanges i thought the blair king horns of this world have been touted as being the next finn russell i mean was there confidence here in edinburgh regarding king horn to basically uh game manage here. I thought it was very much a missed opportunity to maybe spread that ball out a little bit wide, create the the, the width uh, to win that. But again, we have to credit the officiating here, spotted uh, the knock on. And uh, again, you reap what you sow when you've been on the line for about five, six minutes. Uh, I think all credit to Ulster. It was a great last minute stand, but last few minutes stands. But I think from Edinburgh perspective, that was one that they will look at the video and really reflect on and have to improve on for the coming seasons. So I suppose with that, Liam, we can maybe kind of focus a little bit on Munster Rugby. And I mean, there's a very much exciting news there in the last few days. Graham Rountree obviously being appointed head coach. And then we were kind of wondering, what are we up to in terms of the coaching situation? And we're kind of hearing some good vibes. I think there's white smoke probably coming from uh, Limerick and Musgrave Park at the moment. Um, so there's reports that Dennis Leamy is on his way. And also Mike Prendergast, um, as we kind of record this podcast, 
appears to be destined to become Munster's new attack coach as well. Uh, what's your immediate reaction here, Dave? No, oh, it's incredible. Uh, what a coup for, for Munster Rugby to get such a decorated coach already so in, in the early part of his career um, coming up to his prime, you know, you could say. Um, Prendergast, yeah, he knows Munster Rugby. He knows what we're about, what makes us thick. Um, he, he, he also is coming from a position where he was in charge, particularly Rassing, of one of the most, um, I suppose, influential and innovative backlines in Europe. So that's what we're getting in as an attacks coach. Um, so I'm incredibly excited to see what he can do with these players next season. Um, and he comes in on a three-year deal, which again is very, very good sort of... Um, it, he believes in what this squad is capable of as well. So it's it's just incredible altogether. What do, what do you find um, intriguing about the Dennis Leamy appointment as well? I mean, given his stint with underage national teams for Ireland, but also with Leinster Rugby as well, gaining very much massive experience there. Um, feel that's a good fit as well from Munster Rugby's perspective? Yeah, well, in terms of um in terms of i suppose Dennis Leamy yeah with with Leinster he's primarily been there he's been obviously doing some forward work and he's been on rock um which is actually something that we need to do uh very much on, on quick rock ball as well um so that's that's obviously something that would hugely um uh, improve us going forward and again he he's a he's a guy who i suppose at the time he wasn't looked at in maybe the the Foley and then into into the uh, Rassi era. It was a time when it was um, get the foreign coaches in and not really looking at what was already there. So he went away. He he went to um, uh, Leinster Rugby and has been a, an absolutely huge success there. So yeah, again another brilliant young coach that we are getting in um, and. This coaching ticket suddenly looks very, very tasty indeed. It does. Uh, I think Prendergast Leamy realised in full effect what it is to be a Munster Rugby player, the values, the ethos, the vision, the expectations. So I think from all that perspective, they take all the boxes. They're guys that are going to be eager to impress here as well, gain more resume kind of points for themselves. I suppose Andy Kiriko as well has to be noted here. He's been doing a great job for the academy. He's been promoted to the senior coaching staff if reports are led to be believed here. So I think another guy who's fully embraced the whole monster ethos here. So I think from a Graham Roundtree perspective, I think these are very shrewd appointments and a promotion within. So uh, which will be kind of duly, I think, kind of greeted fairly well by an awful lot of monster rugby fans and best wishes to everyone there anyway. Because I know with the academy as well, uh, with Ian Costello, will be taking kind of more charge on that as well from academy perspective. It kind of all bodes well here, Liam. You know, we were kind of really concerned here a few weeks ago when we hadn't heard really much about the coaching setup. But I suppose patience is a virtue. I probably lost mine about a few weeks ago. But to be fair to the Munster rugby hierarchy, they've secured an awful lot of good, high-profile Irish indigenous potential prospects coaching talent, which I think can only be very exciting for Munster. And I would say that players will be very attracted by the proposition of Munster Rugby probably next season as well. 
Um, so Lee, maybe we can maybe quickly change tack again. Champions Cup, unbelievably, we're May quarterfinals, last eight, and uh, yeah, we've some mouth-watering fixtures on tap this weekend. Probably starting first and foremost, but at the Aviva Stadium. I suppose we're expecting probably 40-plus thousand to be in attendance in the Aviva on Saturday afternoon at 3 p.m. See Munster take on reigning European kingpins to lose. What's your initial reaction on the fixture? And uh, would you have a bit of optimism heading in from a Munster rugby perspective? Yeah, Mark, I'd say we'll be hit, hitting close to 40,000, you know. So it's 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 kind of working out this one this crazy Ed Sheeran situation. It could actually be to our advantage, you know, because it's going it's going to be all Munster red. It's not going to be any Toulouse supporters virtually, you know. Um, that uh, plus how good Munster are playing the last three or four games as well has to give us huge confidence. Now we are kind of have a, quite a bit of injuries, but. The guys who came in have stepped up, and that's 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 so good that we can actually say that. And and even with that, there there's so many selection conundrums. Um, I, I think you know Toulouse, they're definitely. I think I think it's a, this is a fifty fifty game. I think that we can ask questions in certain parts of the pitch, and we have to do, decide what kind of a, a game we're going to to play against them and. Who that would dictate who we start with and uh, who we finish with. But I guess we have to vary the game. That's really what we have to do against these teams because they're probably, you know, the usual, they'll, they'll line up and physically they'll be very good defensively. So we have to quick get quick balls in some way and we have to do dinky kicks. We have to turn the Toulouse um, wings and we have to, I won't say destroy them at scrum time, but we have to really get a good platform at scrum time as well. Yeah, I think it's intriguingly set up here, Liam. <clears throat> you kind of look at Toulouse's recent form, particularly the away form here, Liam, particularly in the top 14 standings. They've lost to Cass and they've lost to Toulon. Uh, they did have a home win against La Rochelle, Last weekend, which, uh, to be perfectly honest, it was a very 50-50 game. No holes barred. Very much a playoff intensity uh, get fixture there. And then in between, they had the, the two classic games against Ulster Rugby, which they managed to pull out the win in the Kingspan. But I think from a Ulster Rugby perspective, really first and foremost is really to focus from within. Fully fit 23-man squad going out, really executing to the highest possible ability. Once that happens, I think an awful lot of good things will follow for Munster Rugby. I think the support in the Aviva, I think we'll shock an awful lot of neutrals here in terms of the support. There has been an awful lot written in an awful lot of Irish media publications in terms of the Munster support waning. I think we're going to see uh, that really tipped on its head massively on Saturday. I wouldn't be all surprised if there's 45,000 at the game, easy, um, for a Saturday. And as you say, the Toulouse travelling support, there will be a few in the crowd, but it will be a sea of red for Munster. I think in terms of game plan, I think our front five platform is going to have to be absolutely spot on. We've seen it last year, Liam, in that Easter weekend, last 16 clash with Toulouse. Really, the front five for Toulouse really do control an awful lot of things for uh, Toulouse in terms of their attacking approach. We know all about DuPont into Mac. They have a very talented backfield, but I think that front five particularly 
And I think this is where probably a John Ryan needs to come in, empty the tank for 45 minutes, 50 minutes, really kind of set a platform in the scrum. And again, get our scoreboard taken over 369. I think the back row will be a fascinating watch because you have Fremont, you have Geelong, then you have like sort of a Mahoney, Jack O'Donoghue, maybe a Cadellan coming in because Rodnett probably is being sidelined here as well. So I think the back row, the pack for Munster really going to have to step up here because to lose the show last year, they made adjustments at halftime and then they had their purple patch in the third quarter. Even despite Munster being so physical in the pack exchanges, they found a way. They always kind of find a way to have a purple patch. And this is, I think, where Munster's composure and leadership will come in. I still think Murray will start at nine. I think Carberry probably partnering him at 10 to a certain extent. You leave Casey there for maybe 30 minutes to go, maybe bring him on, which is unfortunate for Craig, Craig Casey. But I think the game plan for Van Gran, I don't think he's going to deviate too much from the game plan from previous, is that don't kind of give easy points away have experience on the pitch. And I think from that perspective, I think Murray, particularly from his defensive work as well, may be a guy that will start and will deliver, I would say. I think it's a very much 50-50 game as well. Link. Cut long story short, I think DuPont and Tamak, phenomenal players. But if our, we can get our variation right, and particularly if Carberry can vary out the kicking game, not a lot of things that I've noticed with Toulouse, particularly their back three, kicks in behind the reaction speed. The defensive line speed is very aggressive from Toulouse. They can be caught a little bit unawares. If you see the La Rochelle try from, I think, Brice Doulan, very much exposes that. Uh, you know, a deft kick in behind, a 10, 15-meter kick, caused consternation, set up the try. So I think for Munster, it's going to be a bit of a variation. We can't be very predictable. So I think Munster will have the work cut out. But again, I think the performance is there. I think the form line is there for Munster to really express themselves. And I think whoever comes on the pitch will definitely deliver a performance and really it'll be to lose having to produce a very top-notch display to get a result. Yeah, yeah, we, we need to do some real, as you say, kind of tactical uh, kicking. This thing of Murray or whoever it is, you know, up in the air kicks isn't going to cut the mustard, I don't think, on Saturday. And to be honest with you, it's almost like suicidal um, tendency. We're just going to end up giving them ball to run back at us, like, you know, and, and, and that would absolutely cuts to shreds but yeah it's about turning turning the their backs their particular their wingers their full back and if we are to do a, a box kick do it from inside their half you know even if, to, uh, in terms of variation in terms of you know um ben healy has a huge boot i must say he has the kind of uh, he so I, I would almost say tactically that healy could I ask more questions initially? That's what we kind of always what I'd be thinking rather than than Carberry. Um, but um, yeah, and as you said, probably Casey will will certainly make a huge impact when he comes on. Um, I think the back row picks itself because literally it does pick itself. There's about four fit back rows, so I think you're looking at. I mean, at the bench you're looking at probably it's either between Jack Daly and and Finney and Finney Witcherly. In terms of the bench, so probably going again with the same thing of O'Mahony, um, Kendellan and uh, O'Donoghue in terms of the back row. Uh, it'll be intriguing to to see what the starting front row will be. Has to be said, you know, in terms of we don't still don't know really who's our first choice hooker. Um, well, I I feel we could almost start with Archer. 
and bring on John Ryan in a game like this. Maybe maybe that's a bit wrong. Maybe uh, I I don't have any fear in terms of Lockman in terms of um he's he's scrummaging you know as well so he can do a job as well. Yeah, well you do have Josh Bishley as well there as well that could literally do a job for you as well. I'd be with you as well. I think Archer probably has a point to prove as well. You know, Ryan has had the starting berth here for a few weeks now, and I think no better occasion for Stephen Archer to come in and deliver a performance. Empty the tank. That's what we're asking these front row guys to do. Really empty the tank for, you know, 40, 45 minutes. I mean, I think the way things have been going in the hooker situation, I'd say we're probably seeing Nod Scannell probably starting at hooker. You do have Darren Barron, Scott Buckley there, but I think he's going to go with, you know, uh, go with, He's reliable number one, and that's Niall Scannell. I think the the bat, I think the second row replacements is going to be a phenomenally interesting kind of pick. Does he go with raw potential and prospect of a Tom O'Hearn versus maybe a Gen- Jason Jenkins, who has been disappointing? Let's let's be pretty pretty brutally honest here in terms of game minutes, but a guy that the physicality I think we will require an awful lot of beef in that front five, particularly in the last thirty minutes. So I think that'll be another phenomenal. There's an awful lot of selection posers here for Munster. And I think all in a good way, Liam. I know we have a few injury crisis um, kind of picks here, but to be fair to Munster, the guys that have uh, who have been available have delivered. So I think from a grand grand round three Larkin perspective, I think it's been very tough decision-making here to kind of leave people out, out of Trent man's squad. And again, they have a very excellent backline. You know, instead of maybe rowing it up, I mean, we do have 12 and 13. Damien Delende, world-class. Chris Farrell, I think, is world-class as well. We have a very talented back three. We have Earl Zebo and Haley there. So we have to vary the game out. I mean, it's no excuses here if we're just going to go one-out runners and really hope for the best. We're going to have to vary things out here. We can't leave anything to chance here. We have to kind of really execute all our options here against a very talented Sleuth side because they will snuff that out very quickly. So... I'd be fascinated to see, and hopefully, Munster produce a performance. That's my wish for the weekend. Whatever happens after that, I will be happy. Yeah, and just just to say also, Mark, you know, we actually have had an offloading game in the last few weeks, and I think that's just going to continue. It's not just going to suddenly stop. And, it, and offloads are key to open up uh, these modern defences, for sure. And that's what, something I want to, to see in this game throughout. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if the weather conditions keep going the way they're going at the moment here, Liam, if it is a dry track day, Viva Stadium-wise, I mean, why not, you know, pick the opportunity to offload? You know, the guys have been very accurate in terms of the offloading game here. You know, there is a bit of run of form. There's confidence in the game. So why not? I mean, I think from a Toulouse perspective, you can discount in terms of the pool stages, you know, the COVID situation really at the last end, the last round of games at the start of the year, could have had them knocked out. Um, Ulster probably will reflect what might have been. This could have very easily been up in Kingspan, given Ulster's performance, particularly in the first leg in Stade Toulousian. So I think for Munster, there are grounds for hope. But again, I have to stress, it's all about performance here for Munster, really executing to the highest level. If they don't reach that lane, I think there are, this result is going only one way to lose. But I think there's just an optimism there, just in terms of the up curve in um, the performance, the form line coming in. Guys are in good form. I think there's a little bit of dog there compared to last year. 
that last 16 lost to lose as well. Um, I think Munster will have learned quite a bit in terms of that, in terms of the attacking threat that Toulouse do pose. So I hope from a coaching perspective that we've the matchups correct. And it's just a case of an all-tie burn will be a massive loss. But again, it's for other players to step up and become Munster legends. And I think no better time than Saturday to really kind of cement that for quite a few guys. So I think it's a 50-50 call here, Liam. Uh, do you want to call it? Uh, who are you feeling is going to advance to the last four? Uh, well, I, I, I go with, with, with Munster, yeah. As I said, in a 50-50 game, when we're uh, uh, in a home country venue, I, I give us um, Munster plus four points. I think it'll be obviously obviously tight going into those last few minutes. But we have to even the impact off the bench to, to seal the game. I think so. Players are on form here. I think there's no real excuses. I know you can maybe contract out with some of the injuries, but I think the guys that have come in and deputised have done very well. Again, it's going to be a tricky encounter, but again, to lose his away form has been very hit and mix. I mean, the Kingspan they really went for broke. An awful lot of offloading here at Liam as well that could really create opportunities for Munster. There's one or two kind of phases of play here for twos on another day. Could have seen Ulster maybe capitalise a little bit. So I think from that perspective, if we can start this game in a positive manner and really start putting points on the board early, I think to lose then will start to kind of lose a little bit of composure here. And I think, you know, again, that last 20 minutes is going to be the interesting one. But I think we'd have the impact off the bench here to really kind of close it out if we do have the KC to kind of change things. With Carberry, we also have Healy as well here to close it out as well. Crowley could come into the picture. I'm going for Munster probably for maybe four or five points. I think it will be a classic. Weather conditions in Dublin are looking pretty favourable. Clear skies, 15 degrees high. I think there's no excuses here. I think there should be good running rugby on display in a very fast track in the Aviva Stadium. So I think from a Munster perspective, let's hope for a great performance and let's hope for a win. Um, I suppose, Liam, we can go to Leinster and uh, Leinster, Leicester. Uh, in Welford Road this will be an intriguing matchup I think an awful lot of physicality kicking game has been well touted on this one what are your kind of immediate thoughts on that one well I hope that Leicester win don't I <laughs> I think even I think it would possibly we might have home advantage in a, in a, in a, in a semi-final if uh, if Leicester win but um, yeah I mean this is going to be so far this season the toughest game for Leinster and again, the first, arguably the first real test of the season for them. Um, Leicester Tigers are on, on, on a, a good row at the moment. They have a, they've all through their pack, like it's just like, you know, Ellis Genge, you have Montoya, you have Vise, like serious physicality there, like, you know. And then they have a choice of, of kind of halfbacks as well. Um, they can choose between Wigglesworth, Ben Youngs, Freddie Burns. Yeah, some 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 real talent there. Um, so uh, this season they've just they've just blown opposition away at Welford Road. I mean, the thing is that Leinster, you know, it's like anything when you first come up against some real opposition in the knockout stages in Europe. <laughs> you know, who knows how it's going to go for them? You know, um, I suppose at the same time you would feel that Leinster will get over the line somehow. That um, with that kind of back row that they have, and basically if they get the front foot ball, that's it, it's game over. But um, I, I would just say Leinster just to give 
to win maybe seven points that extra try. Yeah, I'm kind of going with you as well here, Liam. I mean, let's be brutally honest. You rewind this clock back 12 months, Leicester Tigers are in absolute chaos. You know, if there was relegation, Leicester Tigers would be condemned at this stage. But I think new head coach and Steve Borick has really revitalised the club. He's kind of really gone back to old school kind of Leicester Tiger values here in terms of pack platform being kind of the key. And again, guys have bought into the system. And really and truly, I think Leinster are going to have a pretty tough battle on their hands, particularly in that front five um, pack battle, particularly on set piece, because we know Steve Orrick here, Liam, will be priding himself to get that platform absolutely spot on on set piece. So I think from a Leinster perspective, they're well warned. I think there has been enough talk in terms of the kick game from Leicester Tigers that they will try to be conservative to a certain extent, get their exit strategy spot on in their own half and prey on a few unforced errors from Leinster. But I think from a Leinster perspective, uh, like their display against Connacht, particularly Viva, really did lose class. And I suppose from a Leicester Tigers perspective, they did beat ASM Claremont Avern in the two legs fairly comprehensively. But I think here there was discipline issues here, Liam, particularly the red card. You know, there's yellow cards here. There is, I don't know if officiating kind of are looking at this, but there is a little bit of a trend from Leicester Tigers in terms of discipline, walking that disciplinary tie for open. That might cost them a little bit in certain stages of this game. I think Leinster will be pretty composed here. They will... They're a quality side. They'll beat you whatever way you present, whether you go very conservative or you go very expansive. I think they have an answer for most teams here. I think for Leicester, they're going to have to put in their very best performance of the season here to even get any anyway close. Anything short of that, and I think Leinster really are picking them off. I think a 7-10 point win, I think, for Leinster. After maybe initial Leicester Tigers promise, now it is Europe. It is Leicester Tigers. It is Welford Road. Magic does happen there, but I think from a Leinster rugby perspective, I think there would be a massive disappointment in that group if they can't come away from Leicester with a win because it's really stacked nicely for them. You mentioned Munster if they could get through to lose, having a neutral home home semi-final, but unfortunately, I think, uh, or fortunately, it's going to be in the Viva Stadium, isn't it, the neutral home venue? So that's almost like a second home for Leinster rugby at the moment. So, I mean, that's a great lure for Leinster Rugby. I think Leinster by 7 to 10 points uh, going away, I think. Uh, but I think it will be a clash of styles. And I think watch out for the disciplinary side of things during the game. I think it will flare up at various moments. And it's going to take a strong officiating crew to really kind of take control of this game. Uh, Liam then, La Rochelle Montpellier uh, is on Saturday as well. La Rochelle probably pinpointing this game as a real key game for them to revive their end-of-season fortunes, I would say, given Ronan O'Gara's comments after the Toulouse loss uh, there last weekend. I guess it's Montpellier team that, you know, we've been critical of them, particularly in the pool stages, but they're here on merit and will be going to La Rochelle in good good form, given they're standing in the top 14. Yeah, they certainly will. Um, I suppose in terms of, you know, Montpellier... Some have questioned how they've even gotten here, you know, how they've actually gotten over the line. But now, you know, to be fair, um, they were there and they were they 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 played Harlequins and over the two legs, they they probably deserved it, you know, if we if if we kind of measure that way. Um, La Rochelle, they're such a physically abrasive side and they've had like absolutely like 
an unbelievably physical battle when I remember against uh, against Bordeaux. Um, and they are in the top four or five sides in Europe, in my view, La Rochelle. Um, I think they'll have too much for Montpellier. I would say possibly I give nine, ten points, actually. Yeah, I think this is an intriguing... I think this is probably the most intriguing game. Hard to believe that, but I, I do feel here with La Rochelle, they're at a little bit of a crossroads, uh, particularly in their season. If they were to lose this one against Montpellier, their season could very much disintegrate fairly quickly, given that they're really kind of on the fringes of the playoff picture. They're in seventh place at the moment. Like, it's so tight in that uh, top 14 at the moment. Montpellier do lead the, the domestic standings on 69 points. But then all the way down from Bordeaux Begley's all the way down to Toulon, there's kind of an eight-point difference between second and eight. And, I mean, La Rochelle are in seventh right on the cusp here. So, I think for Ronan Garin and La Rochelle, it's a must-win game. Montpellier, Harlequins, Stoop, Marcus Smith, the conversion at the end, you know. It's a it's a cruel blow for Marcus Smith and Harlequins, but these are how things go. I think Montpellier probably maybe used all their lies, but I think their pack platform here, it's going to be very much a very intriguing pack clash, I think, because Montpellier have a very beefy pack and they really did show it in the home leg against Harlequins that they're a kind of a match for anyone. I mean, the, the points that they tallied against Harlequins at home after 50 minutes was phenomenal. Zach Mercer was incredible. It's going to be interesting to see just the set piece, the scrum. You know, I could see maybe something like an 18-12 result here. I'll probably hedge it to La Rochelle. But again, if Montpellier are in the mood here, I think they're going to pose La Rochelle an awful lot of issues. And if they do, it wouldn't surprise me here, Liam, that they do actually kind of win this one. But it will marginally go with La Rochelle just based with the home field advantage uh, in this all-French tussle. And then finally, we have uh, the Mercurial Racing 92 they're facing the Sail Sharks uh, on Sunday at 3 p.m. Uh, Liam, what are your thoughts on that one? That one looks uh, quite an exciting puzzle, if you ask me. Yeah, I think, I think we have to remember, I mean, in the last round, say, um, <clears throat> when they were playing Bristol Bears, you know, um, we had we had the Sharks, you know, really get an excellent performance away from home. Um, and, yeah, I mean, a, a fairly comprehensive comprehensive uh, turnover of Bristol Bears. So, I mean, they're well capable of going away, obviously, to, to Racing and and trying to at least uh, compete and, and get a result. But Racing, to me, I mean, yeah, Racing is a team that I think can do it this year, like, as in the whole way. Um, and they're playing uh, at home uh and it's going to be, oh, it's going to be just absolutely rocking <laughs> Parisian atmosphere there. And they have all the, the all-stars as well, you know, um, between the likes of, you know, Fiku and Beale and Imhoff and Leroux, Machineau. Wow, it's like, it's it's incredible. They don't seem to have any, any weak points um, in terms of scrum, in terms of back row, in terms of halfbacks. Um, I think this will be a win by, I'm going to give 10 points for Racing uh, to get over the line there against Sale Sharks. Yeah, one thing you can criticise Sale Sharks in this European campaign has been their fortitude and resilience. You know, other teams would have rolled over once their red card was issued against Bristol Bears down in Ashton Gate. 
that could have been a pure white flag scenario there. But to be honest, to a man, Sale Sharks completely delivered on the night and were fully, fully deserving after a two-legged win. No, we tipped Bristol Bears quite strongly in the podcast a few weeks ago, but we'll swiftly move on. But I think, as you say here, Liam, Racing 92. The only fear I would have for Racing 92 here is with Sale. Um, Sale's pack are pretty compact. You know, they're a very cohesive unit. And if, if given a solid set-piece start, I think they could literally pose Racing 92 a few problems. But I think attacking-wise, things could click into place here for Racing 92 very quickly. As you say, Teddy Thomas, there's you know Finn Russell, there's an awful lot of threats there for Racing 92 in that carnival atmosphere of Racing 92. I mean, they really did easily account for Staff Francais, which we thought was going to be a potential banana skin for Racing 92. Uh, in the last 16. So, yeah, I think for me, it's probably a 14-point win for Racing 92 going away. But I think Sale Sharks will have their moments, particularly in the opening half. I think Racing 92, you know, if they're not too cavalier about things, they should get the job done. But they've been knocking on the door so long here, Lean. You know, there's always that moment with Racing 92, will they hit the self-destruct button? And maybe it won't happen this weekend, but again, until they can get over the line, I think there's always going to be a bit of a reservation for me. So with that, Liam, do we have even time to talk about Spain <laughs> and the Rugby World Cup 2023 as well? Um, I was in Spain last week, ladies and gentlemen, and the main sporting publication really did kind of, you know, had the knives out in the world rugby. But I suppose, Liam, if your administration lets you down repeatedly, what can you expect you know, the truth will come out eventually. And unfortunately for Spain, um, with Vanderberg and his administration issues in terms of his eligibility for Spain, Spain have been demoted. And uh, Romania taking their place of Spain in Ireland's group in 2023. Uh, what's your kind of reaction to this fiasco? And I'll call it a fiasco fairly mildly here because I think it was nothing short of a disgrace, really, when the truth kind of finally came out. Is it a coincidence or not that it was a South African player that was involved? Is this all part of Rassi's great master plan again <laughs> to get weaker opposition into the group? <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him, to be honest with you. But um, apparently, yeah, this South African player, um, he didn't have all his documentation correct. And I suppose, look, it's, it's ultimately up to the to the union to to make sure that he's an eligible player. But um, it must be devastating for, for Spanish rugby, you know, to to have qualified for two World Cups in a row and to have it like take, and for the players more more so, to have it like completely taken away from you, from, you know, kind of administrative error in this instance. Um, you know, uh, the way it's looking is, is Spain are going to be one of the leading lights of the emerging nations and um there's such potential there in terms of europe going forward um we, we said before you know about spain you could have them aligned with some of the big clubs in the big soccer clubs you know as well that's an option um but um oh my god um spanish rugby i hope it recovers from this to be honest with you you'd hope so and I think if, let's say, we go five, ten years down the line, there could be franchises set up in Europe. What glorious capitals like Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bilbao, 
like there are hotbeds of rugby in various parts of Spain and I mean this was seen as a momentous occasion for Spanish rugby when they did get the job done a few months ago but again it's the whole administration side of this I mean from the club associated with the player the player himself don't come out of this with any great credit the Spanish rugby officials again I would be so devastated if I was anyway involved in the Spanish management and also the Spanish players that were not involved in this again, you know, repeat back to 2019. They had a similar situation on administration fronts that they were poised to kind of, you know, really kind of stake a claim for a World Cup spot. And that was denied as well due to administration error. So I don't know what you can do here. I mean, the investigation was launched. I think Romania, there's a few eagle-eyed social media kind of um, observers that saw the evidence reported to World Rugby, and I think that the, the outcome was very conclusive. So I don't know what World Rugby can do here. Can can they kind of assist the Spanish Rugby in administration purposes? Or There has been no lessons learned here from a Spanish Rugby head office perspective here. I mean, heads should certainly roll. Whether that will happen or not is another story, but I think the initial reaction in Spain last week was, you know, very much disappointment. You know, they've seen that as a magnificent achievement for a sport that is fledgling, that's looking to kind of get on its feet. And they kind of seen it as kind of the the big boys kind of um, putting down the smaller progressive kind of team that are looking to kind of grow and develop. But I think if you get your fundamental administration structures correct, you have no hope. And I think hopefully World Rugby can assist the Spanish Rugby Federation in any way possible in terms of getting their kind of uh, administration sorted because we can't have a repeat of this again uh, going into the next World Cup in 2027. I mean, you would think then, Liam, with all the underage prospects that are coming into Spain, Spanish team, the senior team, they would have a great chance there again. But uh, it's just a devastating blow. And I think it's, uh, you know, we're playing Romania, which is fair enough, but I think people were getting excited Ireland v Spain in Bordeaux there would have been an awful lot of Spanish contingent going to travel to support Spain it would have been a very carnival atmosphere and that maybe is diluted somewhat in terms of that but uh, yeah I think it was an important story to kind of bring up today Uh, we'll leave it there anyway Uh, very exciting kind of uh, weekend ahead of us many thanks for your insight and contributions and yeah we can run the rule over everything next week much appreciated yeah yeah absolutely Mark thanks thanks very much thank you for listening to this podcast episode If you liked what you heard in this podcast, why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon, Spotify, YouTube or Twitter platforms. You can also follow me at Hawkeye Psychic on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles and reports.